Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Retail works like this. Someone walks in the door and she's yours. You may not fall in love, but you have to put her body before yours. You must see whatever it is she wants to show you. Smell her smell. Satisfy her. You must sell yourself before you sell the suit. This is G.P. Gottlieb, and today I'm talking to author Sari Rosenblatt about her short story collection, Father Guards the Sheep. These eight stories, written and perfected over the course of three decades, while the author taught full-time and raised a family, revolve around people of different ages and in different situations, looking back on something that happened long before. Each story is beautifully told in fine detail with a critical eye towards the smallest moments of human interaction. And the interactions are sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, but always honest. Hi, Sari. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. Thank you so much for having me on your program. I'm, I'm just so grateful for your interest. So how did this collection of stories come to be? Well, I I was a student at the writer's workshop. I'm embarrassed to tell you how long ago. Uh, a long time ago. Let's say 30 years ago. And um, I was I started out writing short stories. And um, the first story that I guess I was pleased with, uh, it's the second story in this um, my collection, uh, Miss McCook. Uh, it, it it actually took me two two semesters to write it. The, the way it works in, in the Iowa Writers Workshop, I think you had to put up two stories per semester. And and I didn't I couldn't I couldn't put up any story that semester. I was working on this story, and I was working so hard on getting the sound right. There were uh, voices of children, and there was a particular rhythm um, that I wanted to sustain throughout the story. There was a tone and a rhythm and a voice and voices. There was a narrator's voice and a voice, voices of children, and and I just had to get it just right. Um, it was like a musical score that 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 I had to hear, um, and, and probably obsessed about. But but it took me a long time to write it, so it it, it took two semesters to write the story, um, and it was it was well received in the workshop, which could be kind of a brutal arena. But uh, that was my that was my first story, and I submitted it maybe around the time I graduated, and it was first published in the Iowa Review. They had something called I think a fiftieth anniversary celebrating our writers, so it was first published there, and that was my first published story. And I graduated from Iowa, and when. My friends from Iowa were going off and doing fellowships or they were in, you know, writer communities. Um, I had to support myself. 
So I went, I went to work at the Harvard School of Design doing fundraising uh, development work. And there was some, there was some writing involved. Of course, I was doing grants and proposal writing, but uh, I was also trying to write on the side short stories, but it wasn't, it wasn't really happening for me. Um, you know, I'm remembering it now. I, I was so musically motivated, you know, that I had to hear the voice. And even though uh, Harvard was nice enough to let me work kind of my own schedule, <laughs> I'm sorry to say I would kind of fritter away the schedule. I wasn't, I wasn't hearing the stories I wanted to write. Instead, I was going for a run. And I was very involved in my work there. You know, whatever job I had, if, if someone was giving me a paycheck, I gave them my all. And, and the writing was always on the side. And it probably wasn't until, geez, you know, it might have been, it wasn't until I got married with children um, that, I, that I started being able to see a story all the way through. Um, after Harvard, I worked for Aetna as a, as a uh, financial writer, and I was trying to write then too, and I couldn't. I just couldn't do my main job, my income-producing job, and write. So it wasn't until I was married with children, and of course, with children came a whole, <laughs> whole you know, that was my full-time job. Nevertheless, I was able a few days a week, put them into da daycare and start writing stories. So I think the second story that I wrote, uh, The New Frontier, um, and it was maybe an odd story to write when I was married with children. It had nothing to do with domestic life as my some of my other stories did, but it, it harkened back to a, to a memory of my mother doing this arcane arts and crafts project where she would boil record albums, like these long playing record albums. <laughs> I think it was a Cub Scout activity. She would boil them and then, and then flute the edges of the record. And, and that became the base for a floral arrangement. And that, oh my God, it, that sounds hysterical. <laughs> that was so, to me, it was so funny. I, I just had to capture that. So that was my intro. That was my way in. And then okay, I'm but thinking, wait, Sari. What I really want to know is, okay, so the years go by, you're working, you're raising a family. Why all of a sudden in 2020 are you uh, publishing this collection of okay, short stories? Thank you. Thank you for keeping me on track, Elite. So, um, so over the years... I was able to write, over the years, I was able to write eight stories. Um, and, and, and these stories were all previously, except for Father Guards the Sheep, all the stories over the years were, were published in many won awards and in small press magazines. Glimmer Train took two. Uh, okay. I, won the, I, I took this, I've won this Catherine Ann Porter Award for... Um, Actually, for the story I was just talking about with the record album. Um, and uh, let's see, Iowa Review took two. Okay, uh, but then so, how? Um, so, so finally, I had all these, all these stories published separately in magazines. 
and and I and I and I tried over the years. Maybe I tried over a period of five years. You know, I'm not great at marketing, and and I thought, you know, why why not submit this for uh, for a prize, you know, for a story collection prize. So I think I submitted maybe to the Drew Hines. Um, I might so wait a second. So you won a prize. That's how this happened. That's the bottom line. Um, a lot of the stories won prizes. That they, they they won awards, but they were published in just separate literary journals. Um, and so I think what the prizes did was give me you know, some some hope or confidence that these stories were worthy of being put together in a collection. And then and then the collection I would submit to right. prizes. Right. So when it came to the Iowa Short Fiction Award, it took me three three tries to win that award. I've submitted a manuscript one year. Um, you know, these are these were all the stories that I published in these journals. I submitted one year and they said, uh, yeah, you're a finalist. Try us next year. Uh, probably I lost, I lost faith, but I submitted the following year. And that year I was a semi-finalist. Let's just say to authors, any authors who are listening to this, just keep at it. Don't you don't give up. Be like Sari Rosenblatt. She that's, didn't ever, didn't ever give up. That's right. that's that's absolutely my message. In the third time, okay. I did I did add a new story. Uh, Father okay. guards the sheep. I added Father guards the sheep, which is a more the the most recently written story. Um, and okay. I changed the title. In the end, and I changed the title. Let's talk about what connects all the stories. Can Can you say more about how you came to focus on fathers? You know, I so I had these eight stories, and I myself was thinking, okay, what what is the connective tissue here? And um, I, I have to admit, it wasn't easy for me to find. And then, mm. and then it just came to me one day when I was walking, and, and it's great. It's great just to get up and walk and leave your desk, and you get ideas. And it came to me that. It was it was eight different perspectives on fathers. In some mm-hmm. cases, the first story and the last story, I have the same. And in fact, the, the first two stories and the last story um, are connected. Um, the first and last story are really bookends, and it's it's the same father in both. And but but throughout, there's a in every single story, there's a father who bears a great influence. On the children, mm-hmm. uh, uh, most of the stories are first-person narratives, and then two are from the actually. Well, one one um, communion is from a father's perspective. Mm-hmm. So, so fathers. Yeah, I'm interested to know which of the stories include autobiographical tidbits. Like the the daughters in the stories are all of different ages and have different. Pro- Professions, and I'm wondering, can you name a couple of instances in which you fit in? Something about you? This is a, this is a great question. Um, definitely, the first story, daughter daughter of retail. Well, my father, in fact, um, had a clothing store in Naugatuck, Connecticut, called Rosenblatt, Rosenblatt's Department Store, and mm-hmm. I I named it Schmurz. 
and and the fa- and the and the father in that story, as in the last story, uh, which is called "As in Life," both stories take place in Schmur's department store, and so mm-hmm. Schmur's or Rosenblatt, it's it's very much the family store. Okay, and I and I can say more about that in a, a later on. Uh, so but, the, let's go back to that first story. 12-year-old Ellen works in her father's clothing store, and one day she has to help a large woman with undergarments. It's hysterical scene. Yes. So yes. <laughs> what about that story made you want to put it first in the collection? Um, it just seemed like the net. She was 12 years old. Um, you know, so so age-wise, in a chronological sense, it made sense to put that story first. And then, and then bookend it with the last story in which the, the narrator, Ellen, is now, um, you know, probably in her 30s, early 40s with children. Um, and I chose that story because it just, <laughs> I, I don't I, I think because it has the sensibility of my father. You know, it's probably, mm. it's, it's as much, it's as much a tribute to my father in the town of Naugatuck. In Naugatuck, Connecticut, in the 1960s, with the rubber, with the rubber company, mm-hmm. um, so so foremost in the lives of people of Naugatuck. Yeah, um, you really captured that. That was wonderful. How they had this break, and they had 15 minutes, and they had to buy everything they needed in that 15 minutes. Right, really- right, right. And I was very young when I started. I was around 12, and I did start by probably dusting. Uh, dusting purses, <laughs> which is such a silly thing. I mean, I just, you know, certain images from my life, uh, again, you know, uh, you know, so much is based on imagery and, and again, kind of the, mu- the, the, the music some, somehow, um, somehow the, to me, there's something very musical and rhythmic about that story. Mm-hmm. And then in the second story, Miss McCook, Ellen is now a fifth grade teacher who's right. taking over for a woman who's on maternity leave. Right. Why, it, why is she having such a hard time with everything in this story? Um, why is she having such a hard time? Uh, yeah. and, well, I, I want to go back to your other question too, about I really did teach children in kind of a, uh, an arts magnet school. I wasn't the substitute. I was an actual uh, kind of teacher and um, uh, I don't know what gives her a part of part of her really hard time is she has that traumatic break in. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's it's another coming in a sense. It's another coming of age story, much like the first story. Uh, she's coming a professional age. She's coming of age in her in her sexuality. Um, she gets a she gets a break in which early in the morning, which can only mean something really bad, you know, like an attempted rape, possibly. She doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And then and then the cop who comes to investigate, there's something kind of, he has this kind of innuendo that's, that's sensual. Mm-hmm. You know, he, 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 he's rubbing his blue uniform against the wall and leaves a smear of blue, I think I say, something like that. Um, so so that so then that traumatic incident um, informs informs the rest of the story. And here too, the father, 
really the father imbues her with such anxiety when she's moving into her uh, apartment. Um, yeah. You know, I, th- I think it's just, I think it's so much the influence of the father in his worry, in his, in his fear of her. And then the fear kind of comes to fruition with, with, mm-hmm. with, this, with this attempted break-in. And yeah. then and that and then that sets up even more trauma and fear. I don't want to give anything away, but I really loved how she handles handled her father in the end when he when she wants to move when she says she's ready to move. I yes, love that scene. So okay, Thank let's you. move on. Um, so your third story, you you referenced it a bit, but it, it's about a precocious ten year old boy yes, navigating yes. a world. navigating a world. How did you get into the mind of a 10 year old boy? Um, That's just pure imagination. You know, I don't, I I don't know. I just imagined this young, young boy with, with a very dominant father who has this kind of, uh, I keep saying arcane, this arcane job of lecturing about rubber. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this is the burgeoning rubber industry. Uh, tires and shoes and um, so he has this job of, of going around the country promoting uh, rubber and and the son is just um, kind of enthralled with the father and also his his mother um, his well you know I have to say women of course get their due in these stories his his real mother has left his father's kind of a womanizer um, you know, you, I, I imagine he's kind of this boastful, full of himself man. He can't, the, the boy at one point says, you don't let me keep any mother I get. He um, yeah. kind of goes from women, women to women until he gets, he gets this lovely woman, Mim, who, um, you know, they marry and divorce, but she's very present in the young boy's life. Um, and, you know, it's just... Uh, imagining what it what it would be, I very much use the trappings again of Naugatuck, Connecticut, home home of Schmerz, also department store in the in the rubber company. Um, rubber, I you know I could I could have called the collection Rubber Town, uh, except mm-hmm. it did, except it didn't apply to all the stories. Yeah, some of your stories. Yeah, I mean, other places are mentioned, but Connecticut has a really big presence in the story. So, so let's talk about what draws you back home. Uh, Family, family. Um, You know, I left home just a few. Well, I went to college in New Jersey. I went to Iowa. I had that job at Harvard, um, in Massachusetts. But every time I was away. Uh, you know, I just, I, I didn't feel like myself, um, just strong ties. I think the fact that my father had that store in town, it was such a centerpiece of the town really. Um, and that connected me, um, into my brothers. And, uh, I remember being in, in Iowa and going food shopping at the Eagle supermarket. And seeing, um, I think it, or the High V, I think it was called High V, and and all the all the cars in the parking lot said Iowa, 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 and I thought, where the hell am I? You know, what is this world? I just felt so estranged, um, mm. and so I don't know. There was always this pull to come, to come home, 
to Connecticut, I, I still, my husband and I think, well, where, where might we move? And I, I don't know, I would feel kind of lost, even though um, it's sad to say I've, two of my brothers have passed away and um, my siblings have died. My parents have died. Um, I have my widow's in-law here. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Connecticut is my home. I don't. Mm-hmm. I understand. It's lovely. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about sweethearts. So uh, what stands out for me is um, Sonny uh, thinking about sucking on a piece of candy. Is it caramel? What is it? They're, they're, they're caramel nips. nips. Caramel and nips, I, right. Yes. Let's talk more about that. That uh, threw me in. Well, caramel nips are kind of a major, they're a major motif in my life. Ah. Uh, they're a major motif. Um, my my mother was um, a big, um, you know, uh, eater and deliverer, deliverer of caramel nips. I mean, she wouldn't think of going to the doctor or the supermarket, the dentist, without bringing nips and offering them up to the doctor, to the produce man. And, and unbelievably to me, you know, you would think, do I want to accept candy? I mean, the doctor who knew her would, but people would always unwrap it in front of her and eat it, which I thought was the most, uh, most beautiful way of honoring my mother. You know, you're offering me this candy. I'm going to wrap it and I'm going to eat it in front of you. I'm going to take in your, your offering. You know, mm. it's like it, it's like the bread and communion. My mother's bread and communion was caramel nips, and and um, and I I can't. I'm embarrassed to tell you how much I love nips. Um, and I and I've passed them out to my students over the years. I mean, I wouldn't think of reading them a story or having them workshop their story without giving them a nip to, as I say, sweeten the whole experience. Oh, um, that is so lovely. I really love jujubes. It really, really it wouldn't work <laughs> for me to give those out. Well, and bad for uh, your teeth. So. If, if, I, if I can just digress and say, when I pass them out to my students, I would say, but you have to take the oath that you won't bite into it. I would have them raise their hands because <laughs> once, once I gave it to a woman who broke a tooth in my writer's oh. group and, mm. um, you know, she had kind of small teeth to begin with. And, and I, and the fact that she lost one and had to pay a dentist to reconstruct it. Mm. But, um, the story by caramel nips seemed really <laughs> organic to that story because the character is the PTA president which I was, you know, a lot of this stuff comes from, you know, you mentioned autobiography. A lot of this stuff comes from real life. And so, you know, PTAs and candy, of course, you know, that in the course of the story, this comes up and the narrator says, well, you know, do we have to do candy? Let's try something else. Let's try an auction. And they say auction, <laughs> you know, and, and the narrator says, yeah, they don't, they don't even look like they can at home, how are they going to do an auction? And, and, but candy becomes, it becomes in a sense, another communion in this story um, where she's, she's at odds with the people in the PTA. And finally there's a coming together at the end where she accepts candy. 
<laughs> from, right. from, her, right. from her nemesis. Yeah. And then the next story is also about Sunny. It continues on with Sunny and her yes. husband, Sam, yes. and their two yes. daughters. So what did you feel, what did you want to continue to say? Um, it's, it's interesting, Galit, because when I, when I wrote these two stories, they were, they were separate stories. They were discrete stories and they didn't have the same characters. You know, the characters had different names, but then when I looked at them, we know when you're putting a collection together, suddenly, you know, I was looking for links, you know, just as I was looking for the link, you know, the connective tissue of the father, I was, I was looking for connections. And I looked at those two stories and I thought, really, really, these are the same people. You know, hmm. maybe originally I, I wanted to give them different names, but you know, essentially they, they seemed um, the same person. So I, so I, I kind of made this, uh, you know, I, I kept the same characters, the, the two little girls, um, right. you know, or, you know, um, are, are, are the same two little girls. And, and that, yeah, and what? then you go on to Father Guards the Sheep, and your character is called Esther. Yes, so what this is say? a departure. You know, this is a new, yes. you know, this story is not linked to any, any, any other story. So what was the genesis um, of this one? Um, Father Guards the Sheep, uh, again, getting back to my real life, I did have, and I'm going to use the same word, this arcane job of working for the New Haven Arson Warning Protection Strategy, it was called. And um, it, it, um, it, it just seemed in a, in a way like a kind of a far-fetched job that had a lot of comic possibilities that I could work with. Um, you know, so, so uh, you know, again, I had to, that that was the that was the inspiration. I wanted to write about the about um, this arson warning program, but of you know so 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 I have an idea. But okay, of course now I have to uh, find a character around which to build the story and, and make it a story. Um, and I just developed this character um, who happens to be a liar, and, and uh, although she she claims not to be a sociopath. There's some of that in there. And, and in my mind, in, um, after several revisions, it came to me that there was a father in this story who, who disappears early in her life. But, but yet, um, but yet she misses his absence. You know, his, his, his presence, in fact, is something that, 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 that guides her. Um, and what, what motivates her is, is wanting to be part of a family. Mm. She's missing the father, but nevertheless loves her mother and wants mm -hmm. to be close to the mother and, and kind of lies, um, lies in a sense to get, get closer to home. Um, right. she, she goes from New Jersey to Connecticut to be closer to her mother. She lies to get this job in the Earth and Warning program. And the lies just snowball. Um, and they, yes, they kind of catch her up. Yes. And they kind of catch her up. Um, uh, but nevertheless, in her kind of quest to find family or a father, she, she seeks it there. And in a sense, she finds it. 
So the last story goes back to Ellen and Schmoor's department store. And I yes. understand that uh, you have expanded those three stories into a full novel. Yes. Is, yes. Is yes. that what you're working on next or you're finished with it? What's going on? Well, well I'm finished with that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just a relentless um, editor of my own work. So, um, you know, it's done and I'm, I'm, I'm shopping it around a little bit at the same time. I, I continue to work on it. But in the novel, um, Ellen Schmer, the character, is 16. In my stories, in, in this collection, she is 12 and let's say 34, but in my novel, she's 16. Um, and I chose, I chose that age because, once again, I kind of wanted to memorialize uh, it. She's 16 in 1968, and, and I chose her age in that time period to try to capture um, the, 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 the industrialization that was going on, the, the, the uniroyal, which I call U.S. rubber um, in the novel. Um, you know, industry was still just thriving then. And, and again, we see Schmer's department store and its reliance upon the rubber workers, it's the customers, but of course things have to happen in the course of a novel. And um, she has this German friend, Wolfgang, and um, there's a lot, it, 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 at some point there, um, it becomes a, <laughs> at some point it becomes a, a, a murder mystery, in fact. Oh, now you have my attention even more. Yeah, I okay. know, I know, I know I might, I know I might grab you with that. And it was just, <laughs> it was just kind of organic to the story. It, it just, it just, that's how it happened. Uh, you know, there, there was just kind of a, a logic. As, as the novel went on, there was a logic to this. And wow. Well, I look forward to, to seeing that when it comes out. Siri, this has been so interesting. I loved your co collection of short stories. I don't usually read short stories, but each one of them was like a little world in itself. So well done. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. And thank you for talking to me today. So kind, Khalid. Thank you so very much. Just a, a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with author Sari Rosenblatt about her collection of short stories, Father Guards the Sheep. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow, too. Happy reading. Thank <music> you.